We had a, a wonderful time in Ohio, but we miss you all. One, one of the things we got to do in Ohio, Steve was there in autumn, we got to go to Cedar Point. How many of you have heard of Cedar Point? Ro- <laughs> autumn was just there, so she knows. Roller coaster capital of the world. We're talking roller coasters, some that are 400 feet tall. It's amazing. And this year was special because Jaden is now nine, and he's at that age where he's finally just tall enough to ride the big rides. Okay, so they have this measuring thing, and it, it was scratching the top of his head. So they said, yeah, you, you're allowed. So he rode the Raptor with me, the, the Maverick. Uh, he went on some with Carolyn. And I've got to tell you, those roller coasters, I, I went a lot as a child and as a teen. I have a different perspective on them as a parent, getting my, my nine-year-old on there. I was honestly a little bit scared. I had some, some fear, like, is he really tall enough? Is he going to fall out somehow? Is he going to get rattled around too much and hurt his brain? You know, I had all these parental fear thoughts, and they, they kind of got me off my game at the theme park. There was one roller coaster called the Maverick. Uh, that we got on lots of quick turns and upside down and all sorts of stuff. And, and all these signs on the way up, we're talking about how important it is that you get harnessed in properly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking at my son, and he's sitting right next to me, and I know that I'm going to have to make sure the belt's buckled, the, the shoulder harness is locked down. So I'm all focused on him, and as I'm getting his shoulder harness locked down, mine's pulled down, and I notice... My head is not in the center. It's outside the right of the shoulder harness. So I go, it's locked. And if you know anything about roller coasters, to get out of there, they have to unlock the whole, <laughs> everybody. And so I said to the guy standing there, I said, could you please help me? <laughs> While 10 people in line are just cracking up. <laughs> Looking at this guy, this idiot stuck with his head outside the hole. The, even the worker gave me kind of a look like, so he unlocked it thankfully I was able to get my head in the middle and (laughs) everything went smooth but my fear for my son had distracted me some fear is some of what we want to talk about today there there is some fear that is legitimate and there are some fears that that are not I looked at some different kinds of fear this week palatophobia is the fear of baldness and bald people I explained why I was a little nervous next to Randy back there this morning. Aerophobia, the fear of drafts. Listen to this one. Porphyrophobia, fear of the color purple. (laughs) Some of us guys may relate to that, I think. Chidophobia, fear of hairy people. Ladies, I know guys, as we get older, our backs tend to get hairy. Any ladies got chidophobia? Right. Aurorophobia, fear of the northern lights. <laughs> Thalassophobia, fear of being seated. Maybe you guys, some of you experienced that a few moments ago after the singing. Odontophobia, fear of teeth. Two more. Graphophobia, fear of writing in public. And phobophobia, fear of being afraid. <laughs> some fears are, are legitimate, others, others not so much. An example of a legitimate fear we had this week, we got back from Ohio and in the airport on the way back we noticed Evan wasn't feeling so good he wasn't his usual self moving a little slow a little bit irritable we got home and long story short a night just a couple nights ago his temperature spiked at 107.6 degrees 
At which point, we had already done water, you know, cold baths and the medicine. Carolyn rushed him to the doctor, and thank God the doctor said, look, it's probably, we don't see any other concerning signs. It's most likely just a virus. Just ride it out. Keep it from going too high. Keep it down. And today, he's down in the 99s, 100s. Carolyn's at home with him. So thank God for that. But that was a legitimate fear, right? You see a temperature like that, you, you run to the doctor. You, you call your, your friends and say, pray. And uh, we did. But I want to talk a little bit about fear today. And as we do, as we look at our passage in the book of Luke, I want to ask us four questions about fear to help us as we process through the fear in our own lives. Because we all experience it, do we not? I mean, if we're honest. In the context of this, as you know from, from Jim and Paul, who I'm so thankful were able to come in here and share the word with you. I love those guys. Hope you're able to, to take in what they brought uh, these past couple weeks. The context is one of opposition. Jesus is receiving spiritual opposition from Satan. He's receiving religious opposition from the Pharisees and others. And what he's doing in this passage is he's preparing his disciples for the same thing. It's kind of the idea that he said elsewhere. Hey, if they hated me, they'll hate you also. So I want you to be prepared as you walk in this world. How do you handle that fear? So the first question I want us to process through this morning is, who or what do you fear? Who or what do you fear? And Jesus starts out in Luke chapter 12, verse 4. I tell you, my friends, and that, that shows you his heart for his disciples and for the believers in this room today, doesn't it? Doesn't it? He's speaking to us as friends. He cares for us. He loves us. Deeply, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, Fear Him. Who or what do I fear? There's a couple main ideas I get out of Jesus' words here. One is this. Fear of finite man does not make sense if you believe in an infinite God. Finite meaning limited. It does not make sense to be afraid of limited men if you believe in an infinite God. Amen? That's part of what he's getting at here. The second thing, though, is fear of a holy God who is all-powerful makes a whole lot of sense. It's spoken of throughout the Bible, the fear of the Lord. We cannot remove it from the Bible. We cannot pretend as though it's not there. It's there, Old Testament and New Testament. Fear of an all-powerful holy God makes a whole lot of sense. Shane Eidelman broke down, what does this fear look like? He said, fearing the Lord isn't the type of fear one would have toward an abusive father, but rather it's the type of fear that involves respect and reverence for God. For example, he says, we fear jumping off a 100-story building because we respect gravity. <laughs> fear, in this sense, is good and God-given. It protects us. It is often through reverent fear that we come to Christ and redemption. The church cannot neglect, water down, or avoid preaching the fear of the Lord in the hope of not offending or securing an audience. The fear of the Lord does offend, and rightly so. 
he closes here, the goal of the church is faithfulness to God, not crowd appeal. The church as a whole may have forgotten the fear of the Lord, but it doesn't follow that we should. It makes sense to have a healthy reverence and awe for an almighty God who is holy. And we have a choice to make. We look at this fear of man and we look at fear of God. We have a choice. Just yesterday morning, I was talking to my wife, Carolyn, and she said it this way. She, she had heard this, and she passed it on, and I loved it. She said, God has a vote for your life, okay? He has a plan for your life, and Satan has a, a plan or a vote for your life. God's plan, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That's the plan he wants us to walk in, right? Satan's plan is the fear of man. And the Bible says that fear of man is a snare. So God has a plan and a vote. Satan has a plan and a vote. Guess who gets to cast the deciding vote about whether you're going to live in victory or defeat today? You do. I do. By, will I, by faith, say, God, I will fear you and walk in your wisdom? Or do we live in that irrational fear of man and walk into the snare? What's our vote going to be today? So that's the first question. Who or what are you afraid of? The second of four, would you like to be free this morning? How many of you would like to be free? <laughs> I would. Listen to what he says. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Now what's going on here? There's two realities. There's this fear of man, which I'm telling you will paralyze you. Maybe you've been there as I have at moments in my life. You feel the thoughts and the, the wishes of others, and it has a way of paralyzing us. There's a physical picture of this paralyzation that happened to me one time. Some of you have heard this story. When we met at the high school, when I worked at the Heights Church, a kid kicked a ball up on the roof, about 20 feet up. I had to go get it before service. And so the, the janitor, a 60-year-old woman, got the ladder and set it up for me. And, and I climbed up there. And when it came time to climb down, I was frozen. I couldn't bring myself to bring myself down the ladder. So the 60-year-old woman janitor climbs up there and says, do it just like this, just like this. And I'm still frozen. So she goes and gets some elders and deacons from the church. They climb up and begin to pray over Pastor Scott. <laughs> Lord, please give him courage. They also did something very practical, because I don't have a lot of experience with ladders. They pulled the ladder up about five more feet, so it hung over the, the ledge more, so I can just reach like this instead of trying to go down. Finally, I got down. But all that to say, that fear of heights paralyzed me up there. I was stuck. And that's what the fear of man will do to us as believers. If we care more about what men think than what God thinks, it will paralyze us and keep us from doing what we need to do, what God is calling us to do for Him. On the other hand, fear of God will free us from every other fear. You know that? If we place our fear where it's supposed to be, in God, it will free us from every other fear that can come our way. Because, listen, the God we are to fear is not only all-powerful and holy, 
That is a very important side of who he is. But these verses tell us something else. He never forgets us. You ever felt that? You're going through something and you're like, I don't think God knows I'm here. I think he bailed out somewhere about three weeks ago. Because No, this says God never forgets us. He knows every detail of our lives. That's the, uh, the number of hairs on our head. And that's some work for some of us, right? Because that number's changing all the time. I wore a hat at Cedar Point because when my hairline goes back, you can see where my hairline really is. I like to push it forward from <laughs> for, for normal everyday life, but my number of hairs is changing. God knows that number of hairs. He knows every detail. He doesn't forget the sparrows. He doesn't forget us. And He values us highly. He says, you're worth more than many sparrows. And what, what's Jesus doing here? He's looking at tiny little things like hair. I mean, what, what do we do with hair when we cut it off? We throw it away, right? We throw it away. Sparrows. I mean, how many of you wake up in the morning, Lord, I pray for the sparrows in my backyard. Protect them. They're they're birds. They're beautiful. They're small. They're sold for very little. And God says, hey, if I care about how many hairs are on your head and I care about these little birds, of course I care about you. You're more valuable than those sparrows. Warren Wiersbe said it this way. The fear of God is the fear that conquers all other fears. For the person who truly fears God need fear nothing else. Now I want to give you a real practical example. How many of you fly every so often? Okay. We fly... I see David saying, no way. (laughs) Since our moving out here in 2002 we've flown numerous times between here and Ohio and almost every time when we fly back into Phoenix I don't know if it's the heat or the mountains around Phoenix what happens I gotta tell you I do not like that feeling it makes me nervous all right and I've got a wife and kids with me there's other people on the plane I I don't want to scare my kids but I'm sitting there getting nervous and so a couple years ago God brought me to this place where I'm, it may sound silly, but it's kind of like, do you trust me or not? All right, do you trust me or not? And, and he brought me this idea that, hey, either this plane is, you're, you're either going to land in Phoenix or you're going to land in heaven. Okay? Either way, I'm in control and I got you. And I'm telling you, the past three or four times we've flown, I use that. And when those bumps happen... I've got such a peace. And I can see it rubbing off on the people next to me because there's this guy next to me freaking out and I'm talking to my kids about, this is like Cedar Point, isn't it? And that guy kind of starts smiling. It's because I know God is in control. I'm very much not in control at that moment, but he is. It brings a peace. If that works on an airplane, I'm telling you, it'll work in every situation in your life. You may not be in control of what's going on, what trials are hitting you, but God is in control And he loves you. He hasn't forgotten you. And he values you so highly. Corrie Ten Boom. She was a Dutch Christian who helped Jews escape Hitler's regime during World War II. She was eventually imprisoned for it. So when she talks about faith and fear, we want to listen. Because she was literally putting her life on the line following God's call. Here's what she said. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I like that. Because I don't know my future every step of it. But you know what? 
I do know my Father. And I know He's in control. I know He loves me. And whatever He allows to come, He is with me. One of my friends this week was going through a very hard time. And she had someone ask her, what reason do you have to keep on living? You know what she said? She said, the promises of God. That's what's going to keep me going. All right, third question. Would you like to be acknowledged by Jesus? Think about that. Would you like to be acknowledged by Jesus? He goes on in verse 8. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man, it's another name for Jesus, will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. Now there's some heavy stuff in this verse. You look at that second one in particular. Whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. What's the idea there? Fear of man may lead to being disowned by Jesus Christ. This is not a popular message. This is not something people come in droves to hear. But that's what it says. Here's the idea. If what those around you think prevents you from coming to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, one day He will disown you before the Father. Maybe someone's here today in that battle. God's been tugging you. Leading you to believe Jesus has died for you. You need to trust in Him. Believe in His death and His resurrection for your forgiveness. But you've got all these other people. You're worried about what they think. Guess what? When you're in eternity, they're going to fade away. And the only one you're going to care who thinks about you is Jesus. You're going to care a whole lot at that moment what He thinks. Don't let fear of man prevent you from coming to trust in Him. Here's, here's the... The ramifications of that. If you're disowned by Jesus because of men, Satan himself, along with your guilty conscience, will accuse you forever. I know that's heavy. Satan is the accuser, and he plays both sides of the game. He'll work your whole life to keep you from trusting in Jesus, but the moment your eternity is sealed, he'll turn around and laugh at you, and your conscience will hound you for eternity. Do not get caught in the fear of man. The challenge here is care more about what the Son of Man who loved you so much that He died for you. Care what He thinks, not the people around you. Here's the good news. Fear of God may lead to being disowned by men. Some of you in here have experienced that. You've made choices in your life. You've moved places. You've done things. You've said things that have caused your family and friends to say, that dude is nuts. That gal is crazy. Keep them away from me, because every time they're around, they want to talk to me about Jesus. Well, guess what? Here's the good news. If you're disowned by men because of Jesus, Jesus himself will acknowledge you before the Father. I'll say, Daniel, that's my boy. He trusted in me. He stood up for me, even when it was hard. Well done, good and faithful servant. I saw examples of opportunities to acknowledge God 
during the NBA Finals. As many of you know, and you've probably been praying for me, <laughs> our Cleveland Cavaliers have lost again. Okay, it's going to be at least 52 years before we have a professional sports championship in Cleveland. But I've got to admit, as I compared LeBron James on our team and Andre Iguodala on the Golden State Warriors, how they spoke to the media, I saw a vast difference. LeBron James is my favorite player on the floor, but when I look at their responses to the media, I've got to say I'm going with Andre Iguodala. And, and here's why. They both have God-given talent that they've, they've worked hard to, to grow in. But when LeBron James was asked a question during the series, how do you feel you're, you're down this many games or this many games, you know what he said? His answer was this, I'm confident because I'm the best player in the world. Stop there. And that's the, where many of his answers stop. I, I don't know his heart. I'm not pretending to judge him. But that's where many of his answers stop. Andre Iguodala was a player on the Golden State Warriors who started 758 games in his career before this season. This season, the head coach of the Warriors said, I think we'll be better as a team if we put you on the bench and you come in off the bench. The finals were the first time Andre Iguodala started a game all season. And I don't know if you were as shocked as I was. I was expecting Steph Curry to get the MVP. When they announced the MVP of the series, it was Andre Iguodala. And they asked him, they said, what about the sacrifice it took to sit on the bench all year for your team? And you know what Andre Iguodala, the first thing he said, they wanted him to talk about his sacrifice. He said, I give God all the glory. I give God all the glory. He said, we got a team full of believers. We all go to chapel before the game. We all say God has a way for you, a purpose. And then he starts to talk about his teammates. And he says, Steph Curry, he said, I want to be like Steph when I grow up. A God-fearing man. Because Steph believes in Jesus too. You talk about an opportunity to acknowledge Jesus. And Andre Iguodala took it. And I think about that and I think that, man, you and I may not be in the NBA Finals, but we have opportunities like that throughout our lives. I think some of the key moments are when something really good happens to us. How do we respond? When something really bad happens to us, what do we say? How do we respond? Sometimes it's when people ask us questions that open the door for us to share. Will we or won't we? And we look at those moments, and if you're like me, you ask the question, will I be ready? Will I do it? Will I acknowledge Jesus? And I think the easiest way to answer that is... How are you in the everyday life right now? Because if we wait for the highlight moments and say, I'll do it then, but we don't do it every day when I'm at work, when I'm in my neighborhood, when I'm with my friends, guess what? You're not going to do it then. I'm not going to do it then. My guess is Andre Iguodala talks about God all the time because he loves him. And so what we saw in that interview is just an overflow of what God's already doing in his heart. Same with us. Will we be people who acknowledge Jesus in our families, in our workplaces. Last question. Would you like to be useful to God? I want to be useful to God. I know many of you do as well. It's in these last couple verses in our passage. Verse 10. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, 
Do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you'll say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. I want to start by unpacking verse 10 here, all right? It talks about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And this could be a whole sermon in and of itself. What does that mean? I'm just going to share briefly what I believe Jesus is getting at. I'd encourage you to study it for yourself. Basically, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to reject what the Holy Spirit does and says. And you know what the Holy Spirit does and says? He convicts us of our sin and points us to Jesus Christ, saying, He is the Son of God, the spotless Lamb. You must believe in Him. And if we continue to reject what the Holy Spirit says about Jesus and we die in that state, we will not be forgiven. If we continue to push that conviction and that truth away. And here's the, here's the deal. Fear of man causes you to fight against the Holy Spirit. This puts up a wall with God and makes you useless under pressure from men. Because isn't that sometimes why we ignore the Holy Spirit? Maybe you're here and you haven't trusted Jesus yet. He starts tugging and you again go back to fear of man. No, I can't. There's part of me that wants to, but, oh, my friends, fear of man causes you to fight against the Holy Spirit, puts up a wall with God and makes you useless under pressure from men. I want to tell you a silly example of how fear of man makes people useless, okay? How many of you ever watched Lie Witness News on Jimmy Kimmel? It's hilarious, okay? What, what Jimmy Kimmel has his reporters do is go out on the street and ask questions about things that never happened. And he records people answering as though they know all about it. I'll give you a couple examples. And, but before I do, why do you think people lie the way they do when they ask? Fear of man. They don't want to be perceived as not knowing something. So rather than tell the truth, I'll just make something up. In the process, they make fools of themselves. They went to one lady downtown Cleveland wearing her calves shirt, and they asked her this. They said, what did you think about that in, in game, game one or two when, when Steph Curry shot a half-court shot, and they gave him four points for it? They said, this is the first four-point shot ever in the NBA. You know what she said? She said, we were talking about that at lunch today. And, <laughs> and we were so upset. We couldn't believe Her fear of man caused her to make a complete fool of herself. Another lady in Cleveland, they went to her and they asked her, hey, what do you think about this new 12-game format in the NBA Finals? And she went on for about a minute. She started out saying, well, I like it because it provides more opportunities to watch for the fans. I'm a little concerned for the players because they may get tired. There's no 12-game format. It's still seven. One of my favorites happened in California. They went to a Golden State fan. And uh, they said, what do you think about this tri-tip defense that the Cavs are running? Do you, th- do, you, do you think it's effective? And the guy said, ah, maybe a little bit. And then the reporter said, well, sh- should you try running the A1 offense on it? Would that, would that help? <laughs> and this guy's like, I think that will really help improve our chances. And <laughs> the last one was the most blatant. He was talking to a lady in Cleveland. And he said, you know, the Cavs got, got a new player on the bench. I'm a liar. <laughs> and it's been great to see how he keeps coming in and helping the team. Can, can you give I'm a liar some love on the camera? And so this lady says, I'm a liar. You're number one. 
no clue. All these people made fools of themselves because they were, had this fear of man. What would man think if I said, I don't know? Fear of man makes us useless to God. Listen to this. Fear of God causes us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. This partners you with God. It makes you very useful under pressure from men. Martin Luther, a man who knew a lot about oppression, he stood up for what the Bible said when most of the church was going against it. His life was on the line, and he wrote this hymn that many of you know. This is the attitude we must carry of faith under pressure. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not as equal. Talking about the formidable foe we have in Satan. But listen, did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is He. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. Father, I thank You for Your Word today, Your Word from Your Son, who tells us to place our fear where it should be, and your Holy Father, who is not only all-powerful and holy, but loves us, remembers us, values us, and cares for us. Lord, I pray that if any in this room today find themselves trapped in that snare that is the fear of man, that you would set them free. Say, no, I'm not going to live there. I'm going to live in faith in my Holy Father. I pray that if there's anyone in the room on the brink, that you're tugging them. And fear of man has kept them from crossing that threshold to trust in Jesus. That they would think about that future day where they stand before him and trust in you so that they might hear you say, I acknowledge you, son or daughter. Well done, good and faithful servant. You, you trusted me. You followed me. Lord, set us free this morning with the truth that you've given us. Father, even as we prepare for our offering. I just pray that you'd lead us as we give, that you'd help us as a church to use the funds that come in to preach that freeing message here in our community to help our missionaries around the world. Lord, give us wisdom as we use the gifts that we bring. In Jesus' name, amen.